we come back to these verses um, that we read again together today. We're just going to look at them one more time. And we are um, entitled the message today, Life in the Spirit. And so I really want us to see this, just how important it is that we understand this, this whole idea of life in the spirit, that we actually uh, are, are living in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit. And that, that is a reality that we, we need to be conscious of. So we're going to zero in on that today. But I want to also, I want to sort of break down the, uh, the fruit of the spirit that Paul describes here. We looked at it last week. We looked at it more from the standpoint of, of what it is to bear fruit and we talked about that, even the, the process of the vine and the branches and so forth. But today, let's, let's kind of look at each aspect of the fruit initially, and then we'll, we'll move on to, to look at just the whole idea of life in the Spirit, and then we'll come to the application finally there um, as we conclude today. But, but remember, uh, up until this point, as we've come to this practical application section, we've, we've looked at what it is to walk in the Spirit, and we looked at, like I said, the, what it is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so here now, Paul, um, you know, he, he describes for us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and, and so forth. And, and what we see in Galatians here, beginning at verse 16 of chapter 5, and we see this, of course, in all of the epistles of the New Testament, is that there's, there's the point where we are called to action, so to speak, where we are given the, the practical uh, application of the teaching because God's intention for us in saving us is to change us, to, to transform us, to make us uh, new people in him. And uh, Paul, you remember back in the, um, the sixth verse of this fifth chapter, we looked at it where he said, circumcision avails nothing, uncircumcision avails nothing, but faith working through love. So circumcision is just a code word here for, um, you know, religious ritual. And Paul is basically saying it, the, the life of a believer in Christ is not about religious ritual. It is about faith working through love. Now, at the end of chapter six, he's going to say something very, very similar where he will say again, circumcision uh, avails nothing, uncircumcision avails nothing. In other words, religious ritual is not what it's about. But there he says, it's about a new creation. And so this is God's intention that it, through our faith in Christ, we experience a new life. It's, it's the life in the spirit. And that, of course, is um, a blessing to us. And then it is also to be a blessing to others. Um, the, the whole, just the, the power of uh, the transformation that comes through the gospel is one of the, the great attractive features of the Christian faith. I talked to a man earlier today and somebody introduced me to him and I'd not met him before and he kind of told me a little bit, you know, he just introduced himself. And then I, I just said, so, you know, who, what's your story? Where are you from? And, and he just proceeded to tell me in a matter of just a few seconds, he said, well, you know, I was on my way to either um, 
prison or the grave, and Jesus met me and changed my life. He just told me he's an usher at another church. And I thought, you know, that's a, that's a good way to describe it. On your way to prison or uh, an early grave is what he said. And, um, but something happened. He met Christ. His life has changed. And that's what we're talking about here, the transformed life. So the fruit of the Spirit is what that transformation looks like. So let's just walk through each one of these different aspects of the fruit, beginning with love and noting that love here is the, the Greek word agape. Now, I think some of you are familiar with that word. Uh, it seems like we used to use it more than we do today, or it was maybe more uh, common uh, some years ago. But, but agape is the Greek word, and it's the very same word that we find in John 3.16, the most famous passage in the Bible, for God so loved the world, and the word love there is this word agape. It's a word that speaks of um, affection, goodwill, benevolence, and obviously sacrifice. It is often defined as unconditional love. And you probably heard people define it in that way. Well, you know, God's love is unconditional love. And there's, that, that's probably um, legitimate. Uh, but it, it's a love that is based in the lover, not in the thing that is loved. So the thing that is loved is not loved because it's so lovable or because it's so desirable or because it's so uh, valuable or, or because the lover is going to derive something from it. So it, it really is a selfless love because when you think of it in, in that way, you know, so often the things that we love and sometimes even people that we love, we love them because we derive a certain benefit from loving them. But this is not the case with God. His love toward us is not because he derives a certain benefit from it. God didn't need us to love him back. So it's not because he's going to get something out of it. He just simply loves us because that's who he is. And so that's the kind of love that Paul is describing here. Now, just... So you know this, uh, agape is a Greek word, but it was a word that was not um, common or, or commonly used in the biblical period. As a matter of fact, it's, its most common use is in the New Testament. And uh, in classical Greek, you, you rarely find it. Uh, you don't really find it too much in Greek after the period of the New Testament. So it's, it's a word that existed. It, it's, it's a word that was there, but it's, but it's a word that actually the Christians took and said, we're going to take this. They sort of adopted it and said, this will be our word. And because it's not really common in Greek, there, you're uh, very, very um, hard-pressed to find a clear definition. But what the... Christian writers did is they took the word and they defined it themselves. 
And, and actually, if you wanted to get the, the definition for the Greek word agape, the best place to get it is 1 Corinthians 13. It's there that Paul actually defined the word. So that, that's, in a sense, it's kind of like the, the dictionary uh, definition of agape, the best one possible is 1 Corinthians 13. Let me remind you of what it says there. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or proud or boastful or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, in, and endures through every circumstance. That's the NLT, so it, it kind of, you know, it's a little more conversational, but love is patient, kind, and humble, and all of those things. That's the definition. So this is at the top of the list. As Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, he begins with love. So this love is going to be working itself out through the lives of those who are the disciples of Christ, the followers of Jesus. So starting with love, but then he goes on to the next word, joy. And, and all of these words are, you know, they're pretty, um, you know, these are words that we know, we're familiar with. These English words have a, have a Greek word that they are derived from, like we just saw with agape. Um, and sometimes the English word is not, totally capable of expressing all of the nuances of the Greek word. You know, the Greek language um, is much richer than the English language. And so sometimes uh, it's a little hard to take one English word and describe the Greek word. Um, But when it comes to the rest of the things here, it's all pretty straightforward. So joy is the next um, thing that is on the list here. And joy gladness, cheerfulness, delightfulness, that's what's being expressed. So the the believer in Christ is marked by love, marked by joy, and then peace, thirdly. Peace, the, the idea of tranquility or freedom from agitation, a sense of rest and contentment, um, that's, the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And as we come to Christ and as we are being transformed by him, we experience this fruit of the spirit, both uh, just as part of our own experience and a blessing to us, but, but as part of our, you know, the way we conduct ourselves, which becomes a, a blessing to others as well. And so then next we have long suffering or patience, same thing. Uh, the idea here is uh, to forbear with difficult circumstances or sometimes to forbear with difficult people. Uh, the opposite of this would be a short-tempered uh, attitude. So this is uh, that characteristic of being able to be patient with people and circumstances. And then we come to kindness. And kindness is... Uh, it's kindness is more a, a reference to the disposition of a person. And it's the attitude that shows itself in a willingness and desire to do the little things that will bless others. 
So it's, a, it's, uh, it's an attitude, an attitude of kindness. But then the next word is goodness. And goodness is, is sort of a reference to what proceeds from kindness. So kindness is, is more the, the disposition, the attitude. Goodness are the acts that proceed from that attitude. And then there's faithfulness or fidelity. And of course, this means that you are a, a person that keeps your word, a faithful person. And then gentleness, or the older translation reads meekness. And um, again, meekness is more of a reference to the attitude, while gentleness is more of the outworking of weakness. So both words uh, fit here uh, with the Greek word. But let me just say that weakness, or excuse me, meekness is not weakness. Some people have mistaken meekness for weakness. Or some people have even, you know, looked at a, a person who actually is weak in maybe their, their character or their demeanor, and they would say, oh, well, they're just a meek person. Uh, there's a difference between the two because meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And the Greek word here was used to refer to wild animals like lions or tigers that had been tamed. So there's nothing weak about a lion or a tiger, right? But when they had been tamed, of course, it was that... That, that strength that was there that was now under control. So that, that's the picture with that. And then finally, the last uh, aspect of the fruit Paul mentions is self-control. And again, pretty obvious. Uh, the word here is used in the context of disciplining oneself as an athlete, also in uh, controlling one's sexual urges. So this is the fruit of the Spirit. And I love what Paul says here as he as he goes through each one of these, he comes uh, to the conclusion and he says, uh, against such, there is no law. Against such, there is no law. These, these are the desirable traits. And as I pointed out previously, these are just aspects of, of the fruit. They're all, uh, it's one thing, the fruit, but these are all different aspects of the fruit. Now, fruit, I want to just touch on fruit again, because fruit, you know, there, I think if there was one way I would def- describe fruit, and I'm talking about now my favorite fruit, so you can think of your favorite fruit, because I would agree that not all fruit falls into this category for me. Um, I have certain preferences. But when I think of my favorite fruit... I think the, the best experience or the best way to describe my d- experience with my favorite fruit would be delightful. It is delightful. In the middle of summer, when I cut open that perfectly ripe watermelon and I dig my spoon right into the heart of it and I put it in my mouth and it just is like sugar, it is so delightful to me. And that, that very experience, that very sensation, I mean, I can kind of imagine it right now. And you know how it is. You, you have one of those kinds of experiences where, oh, you just, you love this. And that is 
the kind of experience that really ought to proceed in relation to the fruit of the Spirit, that there is that, that delightful thing that, that happens, that when you're, when you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in your own life, it's a delight to you. And when other people are seeing the fruit of the Spirit, that it is that same kind of experience for them. It is a delightful experience. So it's this fruit of the Spirit that God is working in us and wants to manifest through us. And so we are that, that fruit that he wants uh, others to, to be able to delight in, the, the fruit of that um, that transformed life that comes from the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, when we think of fruit, and maybe I want to take you back to what we said in our previous study about fruit, one of the things that I, I emphasized was that fruit doesn't you know, work to produce itself, right? Fruit is the outcome of this connection, as Jesus told us. He is the vine, we are the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. And so we emphasize that aspect of it, that fruit is, you know, it's not something that I have to work up. It's something that quite often is just the, the overflow or the product of the <coughs> relationship that I am having with the, with the Lord, that that abiding relationship, that, that intimate relationship. But now there's also another aspect to it that we have to consider because there are times <coughs> when because of the reality of the, uh, the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh, because of that factor, there are times when if the fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest itself, it's going to manifest itself because I choose for it to do so. And I want you to understand that there's, there's a distinction here. There are times when the fruit of the Spirit is just there. You're not, uh, apart from just your you know, ongoing connection with Jesus, you're not trying to, to bring it up. It's, it's just there. And you know, we probably have had these kinds of experiences where in, a, in maybe a crisis situation, you just have peace. And you can't even explain it. It doesn't even make any sense to you. And you're not, you're not trying to have peace. You just have peace. Well, that's, you know, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Or maybe you're dealing with a difficult person. And anybody else would be angry with this person. Anybody else would want to you know, strike out against them. But you just have this unexplainable love for them. You, you can't even figure it out yourself. You think, well, I should be angry at them, but I'm not. I, I just have such love and compassion for them. Well, that's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's the work of God's Spirit in your life. And like I said, you, it, it's even sort of a mystery to you, but it's there. But that's not always the way it works, and that's what we need to be aware of. Because there are times when we have to choose 
to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. There are times when, in a sense, we have to sort of flip the switch in order for the fruit of the Spirit to flow. And let me, let me show you what I mean, because every one of these things that we just looked at, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all, all the way through to the end, um, and, and, and in the context here of fruit, the idea is that they're just flowing, naturally kind of developing, but all of these things are stated in other places in the New Testament as things that we have to sometimes uh, choose to engage in. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, pursue love. So you see, here's a, an, an action now on my part. The love sometimes isn't just naturally flowing. I, I have to pursue it. I have to, like I said, uh, flip the switch for, in, in order for it to begin to flow. And the same is true with joy. James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, a lot of times when we're in the midst of a trial, we're not all that joyful. But again, sometimes we have this unexplainable joy. But there are those occasions where I have to sort of flip the switch. Oh, wow, this is a trial. I'm not joyful. Lord, where's the joy? You got to flip the switch and the joy comes then as you, as you choose to be joyful. And the same is true with peace the same is true with kindness and meekness and long-suffering. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, there are those times when that other experience of peace is not necessarily there initially. We have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And likewise, there are times when the kindness isn't there immediately. The meekness might not be there. The long-suffering might not be there. And so in Colossians 3.12, Paul says, put these things on. Put on kindness. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering. So you see, there are times when I have to engage the will. Now, the, the fruit of the Spirit, remember, it's the Spirit. It's there but it's like, uh, it's like a, a reservoir that needs to be tapped and then the flow comes. So I want us to see that because if we, if we don't recognize that both of these things are true, then we might miss the, the, the opportunities to have the fruit of the Spirit uh, when we really do need to have them, but because we're thinking that it's just supposed to sort of naturally be there and it's not there, then we just kind of move on and say, well, whatever. Um, no, I, I, I need to tap into it at that particular moment. And so choosing the fruit of the Spirit. There are those times when that is how the fruit of the Spirit manifests. That's how the fruit of the Spirit uh, flows from me because I make the choice for that to happen. Now, Paul says in verse 25 here, he says, uh, since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, we've been, we spent the last uh, three weeks looking at just this whole topic of walking in the Spirit, right? We started in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
And here, once again, we come back to that, uh, that call to walk in the Spirit. But the thing that I want us to really sort of zero in on more than anything today is just the whole idea and the picture uh, of what it is to, to live in the Spirit. This is what he says. Since we live in the Spirit, let us, let us walk in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Well, that's who we are. We, we need to understand this, and we need to think of ourselves this way, and we, it would probably be good to even refer to ourselves in this way. We are the people of the Spirit. We are the people. The church is... Uh, it's, it's a body of, of people all over the, the planet who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, this is not the, the normal experience of a human being, right? The vast majority of people live and die without ever having been indwelt by the Spirit. But it's those who put their faith in Christ that are indwelt by the Spirit. So we become, through faith in Christ, we become the people of the Spirit. And what that, what that looks like then is that our lives are about the things of the Spirit more than they are about the things of the, um, the flesh. But I don't even want to just say the flesh. I want to... I want you to see it as just the, the material order. Now, of course, we live in the material world and we engage with the material world and we are material beings, but we are more than that. We are spiritual beings. We have been born of the spirit. And so we live in the spirit. The spirit lives in us and we dwell in the spirit. And so our whole outlook should be a spiritual outlook. And if you think about it, if you think about the, this distinction between, uh, okay, here are the people of the spirit and you know the vast majority of the rest of humanity is not the people of the spirit, there ought to be something that's, that's pretty uh, clearly different between those two categories. And that's exactly what God intends. And that's exactly what uh, Paul even states here, that it's not about religious ritual. Remember, it's about a new creation. So we are the people of the Spirit. You know, the Jewish people are referred to uh, sometimes as the people of the book. Have you ever heard uh, that kind of reference given to Jewish people? Uh, they're, they're the people of the book. Why? Well, because, you know, the land of Israel and the Bible, much of it was, you know, written in the context of the land of Israel. And when you go to the land of Israel today, you find that you're, you're just surrounded by the things that we've read in this book. So the Jewish people have sort of gotten that label as the, the people of the book. Well, we are the people of the spirit. And that should be the designating factor for uh, others as they look on at us. They'd say, well, you know, they look like us. And, you know, if they sort of touch you, it's like, well, they feel like we do. And um, but there's something about them that's just different. What is it? That's the distinguishing thing. People of the spirit. And so people of the spirit, we live in the spirit. 
we conduct ourselves in the Spirit. Our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's the thing that is going to set us apart, both for the glory of God, but also it's going to become uh, an attractive thing to others. Going back to fruit for a moment. You know, when you, when you see, sometimes fruit, it's, it just... It just looks delightful. And because it looks so delightful, you think, man, I want to taste that. I want to try that. That looks amazing. And you taste it and see that, oh, yes, this is so good. And it's, it's our lives, the, the fruit of the Spirit being the mark of our lives that people would look on and say, you know, that, that looks good. I, I want to taste that. Now, on, on this, just this whole idea of being the people of the Spirit, we need to remember because I think we easily forget. We forget that we are the people of the Spirit. And we sometimes forget that, that the, the real world, real in the sense of the one that's going to last, is the spiritual world. The physical world is obviously real, but it's temporary. The spiritual world is the eternal world. And so we need to be thinking in those terms. We need to remember that we um, are, are part of this, this spiritual world. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us as believers to be in the word of God. Because you know what the Bible is? The Bible is, uh, it's a doorway into the realm of the spirit. Here we are in this material world. And, you know, in a sense, we're, we're sort of, most of the time, we're just kind of shut in to this material world. But you know what happens when you open the Bible and read it? Suddenly, the door opens to the spiritual world. Suddenly, you realize, oh, wait, yes, there are angels. Oh, my, there are demons. And, oh, God, yes, he, he intervenes in the lives of people. There's a whole nother dimension that we oftentimes, even as Christians, even as people of the spirit, there are oftentimes when we're just living completely on the plane of the material and we're, we're forgetting. Maybe not completely forgetting, but it's just kind of sometimes comes to a place where it, it's just sort of that's, you know, so far in the back of our heads, we're, we're not thinking in those terms. But we need to think in those terms. This, this past week as I was just doing part of my personal devotional kind of reading. I'm, I'm reading through a book uh, by an author that I really like, and it, it's a book on Christian doctrine and biblical doctrine. And um, there was, there was a, the chapter that I was coming up on for that particular morning was a chapter on angels. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I feel like I know enough about angels. I mean, I didn't really, I, I kind of thought I might skip this chapter let me see, what's the one after? Oh, yeah, I like that chapter better. But I, at the same time, I felt like, no, you know, I'm, I'm making my way through the book. I want to read the whole thing. So I made the decision to read the chapter on angels, but I thought, yeah, I already know everything that anybody would ever need to know about angels anyway, but uh, I'm going to read it. So I read it, and you know, I didn't learn anything new about angels, but this is what the Lord did through that chapter. He reminded me that there are angels everywhere. He reminded me that I live in 
the midst of a supernatural world. He reminded me that I am uh, one of the people of the spirit. He reminded me that there is this spiritual world that is a reality that, of course, I know it, but I just become a little bit desensitized to it. And as I'm reading over this chapter on angels, and I'm just, you know, and the, the writer is, you know, very faithful to just kind of take you through the, the scriptural uh, accounts of the appearances of angels and, you know, what it was that they were uh, sent by God to do and so forth. It's just this fresh reminder to me that, oh, yes, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to, to um, minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. And, you know, one of the things that immediately came to mind was all of these reports that we are getting these days about people coming out of Islam to faith in Christ, people who have never heard the gospel, people who uh, live in an entirely Islamic context. But they're having these appearances in dreams and in visions of these messengers who are coming to bring them the gospel. And I thought, wow, that's a, a current manifestation of the ministry of angels right there. But that we would also remember that many times in the pages of the New Testament, it was through the intervention of angels that God's people were helped. Now, I didn't walk away from that going, man, I need to think more about angels as much as I walked away from it going, thank you, Lord, that you just kind of refreshed me today on the reality of the spiritual realm. And what I do need to think about is the fact that um, we are the people of the spirit and we are to live with that consciousness of the spirit and with the expectation of God as, as being very near and active in our lives and not to be surprised by the supernatural, but to expect the supernatural. You know, it's very easy for us, even as Christians, to turn our, our faith into something that's more um, intellectual or academic or informational. And I'm not against intellectual, academic, or informational. We need that kind of stuff. But we have to remember that, no, we're talking about something way beyond that. As much as we obviously have to be rooted uh, intellectually or intelligently in the truth of the gospel, we have to remember that there's an experiential element to all of this, and it's a supernatural experience. We expect God to work. We expect him to show up. We expect him to do the things that, that defy science, that defy logic, that, that don't make sense from the merely material point of view. We, we, ex we should expect God to do that because that's what he does. And he does it still to this very day in the lives of those who are his people. And that's everyone who's put their faith in Christ. We are the people of the spirit. And so Paul says, since we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So that's where we live. We live in the spirit. Let us walk in the spirit. Let us be that, that picture to people out there of 
something that's different. There's just something different about this person. I've heard that said so many times from a person who came to faith through the witness of another person. So many times I've heard that story. You know, there was this person I worked with and I don't know, there was just something different about him. I couldn't even exactly pinpoint what it was, but there was something different about him and come to find out it was the fact that they were a believer. And so what they couldn't describe, what they were actually seeing was the fact that this person is, this is a person of the spirit. So that's who we are. We live in the spirit. So therefore let us walk in step with the spirit and in walking in step with the spirit, what we're doing is we're yielding to the inner impulses of the spirit. See, what the Spirit does as He's resident within us and as we're cultivating our lives of the Spirit, what the Spirit does is He gives us impulses. He gives us impulses toward the right thing, toward manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Like I was saying a moment ago, He, he gives us the impulse, which is to flip the switch so the love can flow. Now, um, sometimes, like I said, Those impulses themselves are enough to just bring that fruit of the Spirit up. But sometimes the impulse, for whatever reason, can be weak. And sometimes it's because maybe we're, uh, our hearts have uh, become hardened. Um, Maybe it's because of neglect of the things of the Spirit. Or maybe we've done something to kind of quench the Spirit in our lives. And, And there's a uh, that, that impulse isn't as, um, we're not as attuned to it as we might be at other times. For, and sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's just, for whatever reason, we're just not as attuned to it. And, and so why I'm saying all of this is because it is a matter of yielding to the inner impulse, but when the inner impulse isn't strong, we've got God's word which is always going to be the thing that we look back upon and know this is how I respond here. So even in a circumstance where I I know that I need to act in love, the inner impulse to act in love is not really there, but the scripture says pursue love. So you see, I pursue love because the scripture says to do so. And so in another situation, uh, the you know, the inner impulse to be kind is not there, but I know the scripture says, be kind to one another. So I act upon the word of God. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because, you know, sometimes the inner impulse is there and it's, you just know this is the way to go. And, and like I said earlier, sometimes it's even, you didn't even have to think about it. That's just where you went. But there are those other times where that's not there. So this is where God's word is there as the standard for us. And this is how we know that this is what we're to do in this circumstance. And we know that as we step out in obedience to God's word, the power of the spirit is then supplied to us to live out the attitude and the behavior that God intends for us. The Spirit is supplied to us so that we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And the end result is a delightful result where God is glorified and his truth is magnified and and people are affected by that, impacted by that. And so this is 
God's intention for us. We are the people of the Spirit. His intention is that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, that faith working through love, that new creation. And it's through that that others are impacted. Others are attracted. Others are drawn. So let's just pray today as we, as we wrap things up today and as we're going to pray for one another as we normally do. What, what I want us to pray for is just a greater, clearer sense for all of us that we are the people of the Spirit and to be reminded of that and then just to, to pray that you know, God will help us to, to walk that out in our daily lives. So Lord, thank you for the power of your Spirit. Lord, thank you that you met us in our weakness and you saved us by your mercy. And Lord, you haven't called us to now try to work up some spiritual life, but Lord, you've supplied us with your spirit so we can bear the fruit of the spirit. So help us to do that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.